You're listening to Some Assembly Required, my podcast that explores the ups and downs of being human. My name's Sean, and if this is the first time you're listening, welcome. In previous episodes, I've explored finding your purpose, why sleep matters, as well as simple tricks we can use to regulate our nervous system. Today's story takes place down under. It's about dreams and disappointments and the grit to keep going. So let's meet Rachel. Oh, a dog person. I've got a fluffy little Louie. <laughs> oh, I don't cook that well. <laughs> oh, I've grown up with Asian Chinese food, but I could live off dumplings happily. <laughs> I first met Rachel in 2006 when I volunteered as a coach and counselor at a swim camp in Alabama, USA. She was there on a swimming scholarship and studying at Auburn University. Originally from Australia, I got to know Rachel as a formidable athlete. She was fully immersed in the National Collegiate Athletic Association program, often referred to as the NCAAs. As swimmers and Southern Hemisphere dwellers, Rachel and I immediately clicked and have stayed in touch. Rachel eventually returned to Melbourne, Australia to study psychology and continue her swimming career. We pick up her story in 2012 as Rachel was preparing for the Olympic trials. It's the last shot that I would say I thought I wanted to be able to give it a real hot go at making the Olympic team. Um, And yes, I, I went into our Olympic trials in 2012 wanting to make the Olympic team. Rachel started swimming at a very early age, moving through the age group ranks, taking her sport seriously enough to leave her home and relocate to the USA to make her Olympic dream come true. And in 2012, Rachel was ready to achieve this dream. Mm -hmm. Physically, I was at my best and I'm a consistent racer. You know, this is one of the things the US taught me and my old coach, David Marsh, used to say to me, the bigger the lights, the better I would perform. I'm not typically someone who's in my own head too much. I like the racing platform. I like testing myself and pushing myself to the edge of all the limits that you could have. Rachel went into the Australian Olympic trials with just one race on her mind, the 100-meter backstroke. And to make the Australian team, she would need to place first or second in the final. The two swimmers that we had that I had to beat and get the FINA A time were Emily Seabom and Bindi Hocking, without question. At the time, they were the two fastest backstrokers in the world. And to knock one of them off... For that event, it would have been a miracle hard ask. They're incredible athletes. To get on an Olympic team, you essentially have to be someone who may potentially get an Olympic medal as well. That year, Rachel was one of a handful of Australians that could swim 100 metres backstroke in just over a minute. That's two full lengths of a 50 metre swimming pool in 60 seconds. She was definitely in with a chance of a podium finish. But it just wasn't meant to be. Rachel, so you've left the trials and you know you're not going to the Olympic Games. Your 2012 dream is over. How did you feel about that? It's hard because in a way I can definitely tell you it was probably expected, but it doesn't mean it's any less difficult to accept that what you have dreamt of as a child and something that you had aspired to and given your life to is not achievable. It will not eventuate. It will not happen. Despite the years of grueling effort... 26-year-old Rachel Goh would not add Olympian to her list of accomplishments. After the trials, Rachel 
and fellow teammate Grace Lowe and Kyle Richardson headed off to Bali. A well-earned break that coincided perfectly with Rachel's birthday. Ah, Bali. Thought we'll, we'll go to Bali, wind down, relax as people do after an Olympic trials, and just enjoy a new country, new travel, new place. <laughs> Bali is a country where people get around on mopeds. Kyle was happy to hire one, um, and then Grace would ride on the back of his. I was happy to hire one as well, and I thought it shouldn't be an issue. We can drive a car, we can do all these things, but. I wasn't factoring in how I am in the heat. Okay, so it's at this point we turn to our biology books. Have you ever heard of thermoregulation? Well, it refers to how the body maintains its internal temperature. Our internal body temperature is regulated by a part of our brain called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus checks our current temperature and compares it to the normal temperature of about 37 degrees. If our temperature is too low, the hypothalamus makes sure that the body generates heat. And if we overheat, the hypothalamus helps us cool down. But some bodies have difficulty doing this. Rachel struggles with temperature regulation, so a hot climate is already a strain on her body. And prior to the Bali holiday, she sustained a nasty fall that resulted in a mild concussion. I remember it was a scorching day. I think it was over 35 degrees. I remember Kyle and Grace were telling me I turned the corner from where we hired it, not even 50 metres, and I fainted while I was on the moped. Realistically, all of it just feels like a blur for me. Understandably, Rachel has a level of traumatic amnesia and has no recollection of details. What she knows about this period of time is what she's been told. Kyle essentially had picked me up like a baby and was trying to get get us to hospital, get us somewhere, and they actually went to a doctor's practice first. And because the extent of a head injury, you're sort of not lucid, you're not grounded, they actually thought I was a tourist who was just drunk. Rachel's memory loss of that traumatic event is roughly 48 hours. She does remember taking the helmet off the handlebars and putting it on her head prior to getting onto the moped. The next thing, she was waking up in ICU and in excruciating pain. I remember opening my eyes and all I can remember were my eyes just shaking. They were shaking so much that the room felt like it was shaking and then I started sort of screaming in pain. You know, when you're so nauseated and you're feeling so sick and I'd be like, what's going on? Rachel spent five of her seven-day vacation, including her birthday, in a Balinese hospital. Her mom and dad had flown from Melbourne to be with her, but there's still large gaps in her memories during that time frame. The hardest part for me to hear at the time or even just weeks after was when Gracie was telling me that I had essentially been saying my goodbyes to them and I was sort of saying, I'm so sorry, I'm not going to make it, I don't know um, what's going on and I had said a few things like that and I remember when I heard that from her, I just... brought up all those emotions of tears because almost feeling so awful as well that you put someone through that, even if it's unintentional, I wasn't even coherent or conscious. Rachel went for multiple CT scans and tests during her time in hospital. The tests showed she had a cerebral edema. While a cerebral edema can sometimes be treated with medication and rest, any swelling of the brain is dangerous. 
Some cerebral edemas are difficult to treat and can cause irreversible damage. After five days in hospital, Rachel and her family got the green light to return to Australia. And despite having a recovery plan, it wasn't long before Rachel was back in hospital. I then had Bell's palsy where half my face was paralysed. And because that happened and then I had the head injury, my mum took me back into hospital and they reassessed the damage of the accident and it was a brain bruise as well as a fractured skull at the back of my skull. In the space of roughly three months, a physically fit 26-year-old Rachel falls just short of making the Australian Olympic swimming team. Days after that, she suffers a concussion, but picks herself up and sets off on an island adventure, only to have her dream holiday end in an ICU stay and a head injury. Now, her face is in partial paralysis, and she learns that her skull is fractured. A series of unfortunate events that, dare I say, even lemony snickets wouldn't be able to tolerate. And remember... Rachel was still completing her psychology honours thesis during this time. Um, one of my assessment hurdles was getting up in front of the class and doing a group presentation. Um, and I remember doing it while half my face was paralysed. And I thought to myself, I hope nobody sees that something's wrong with me. But the reality was, how could you not? You know, like, how could you not? I, we would do, um, I look back at pictures now and it's just so obvious because your whole face almost looks like it's drooping. And a simple smile isn't a smile anymore. I was drinking, um, actually even eating is tricky because we would, I remember we had like a family dinner and you have to, I used to have to drink with a straw and you have to put it in the side of the face that isn't paralyzed so that you can actually drink a drink. So, lifelong Olympic dream dashed. And everyday tasks have become challenges. That would slow most of us down. I wanted to make the world championships team in short course, which was in Istanbul later that year. Did you just hear what she said? Someone that's just gone through life-changing events already has her eyes set on making a world championship team within the same calendar year. But the doctors said... They had said one to two years rest and recovery. You do the math. A two-year break would not fit into Rachel's new dream to race on the world circuit in just a couple of months. Picture uh, an athlete who wants to achieve, make the next team, go and represent your country again. One to two years is, is hard to swallow. So she turned to a sports-focused neurologist, specifically to someone that works with the Australian Football League. For anyone that's ever witnessed an AFL game, you'll know full well why there are a lot of head injuries in that sport. He had said, I think it was about one to two months out of the water of recovery, but he's like, you can go back and train, but it's a slow integration. Take your time to learn the movements, learn, you know, get the connection back in the neural pathways of your brain. But the reality is my mind was so far in, in wanting to be back, wanting to do it all, I was going to do it regardless. Remember how Rachel was basically relearning how to eat and drink because of the partial paralysis of her face? Well, she had to do the same for swimming. Which, if I translate that over to swimming, it was tough because, as I said to you before, breath hold for me, I can do. Underwater, I can do. It was always my favourite thing. But re 
getting back in the water, trying to do freestyle and just breathe with half your face not really working wasn't that easy. The worst part was the tumble turns, and then I would still persist and do underwater because I needed to train that part, but I'd do a tumble turn um, and do my underwaters and I get water that shoots up your nose and that happened to me so frequently that I just had to get used to it and I sort of told myself to get used to it and this is where it's like I just wanted it so much I was going to persist and I would go through those things regardless of the outcome. I just had to do everything and anything, which is why I was so pushy about wanting to get a specialist opinion. I wanted to get back into training. They say Bell's palsy sort of anywhere from like three to four months. I think at least after a month, I got some mobility back in my face. Um, maybe two to three months, it was closer to about 90% functioning. Behind Rachel's new dream was a deep-seated belief propelling her forward. If I was going to retire from the sport, I didn't want it to be because a medical professional or someone or the injury had told me that I had to just not swim for one to two years, you know? Yes. Yes, I do know. If you've been following my podcast and our journey with our daughter's special needs, you know that as a family, we often have to push back on limitations, push beyond disappointing diagnoses and believe that we can achieve our dreams on our own terms. I'm learning more and more about neuroplasticity, the brain's beautiful ability to repair neural pathways or create new ones. Well, you know, we can be adaptive, right? And I think I can put knowledge to it and intelligence to it now, but I, as a, you know, as a professional, but I can definitely tell you at the time at 26 years old, that was beyond my knowledge other than knowing that I wanted to keep trying, knowing that you just have to find a solution and figure it out. I think I had a knowledge of psychology, nowhere near to the degree that I have now of knowing what happened. It's like that that um, willingness to try, willingness to give it a go, willingness to do it differently. You know, you'll figure out a way. So you're wondering about the hero's journey here, aren't you? Despite the challenges, Rachel did make the Australian World Championship team to compete in Istanbul later that year. She was so motivated to make her new dream come true that she opted to do the full World Cup tour and fast-tracked her race training in the process. Somehow it worked. Somehow, head down, bum up, and we got there. I think the World Cup tour kind of helped me do that because pressure, expectations were taken away. So it was eight countries in nine weeks with some of my greatest friends. And that got me back into the race training. I was able to um, get back fairly quickly, all things considered, which also kind of boggles my mind because my real, ex- my lived experience is exactly what it was. But somehow I was back at peak performance racing at my best and um, leading into December. After that World Cup tour had happened, I was the fastest hundred backstroker that year um, leading into world championships. So I'd still set the fastest time anyone had swum in that year and a favorite in the 100 back um, at world champs. Okay, so for the non-swimmers, the Olympic Games happen in one location every four years and Olympic swims are raced in a 50-meter pool. The World Cup is a FINA event that takes place every year. The FINA World Cup is raced over several weeks in various countries in a 25-meter pool 
and there's prize money up for grabs. Some swimmers will choose to participate in just one meet, where others, like Rachel, choose to do the full tour and move from one country to the next. To get up and race in eight countries over the span of nine weeks is an exhausting task for any athlete. And by the time the tour came to its end, Rachel had posted the fastest time of the year for the 100-meter distance in a short course event. No doubt, an absolute favorite going into the World Short Course Championships in Istanbul. So it was the night of the final of the Hunter Backstroke. I was in lane five, ranked second going into the final. Everyone has a pre-race routine. So I like to get ready, you get your suit on, you pull it up just so the straps don't kill your shoulders because the suit's so tight. But I was lying down on my back and I remember I had my double cap on so tight that you feel like there's just no air and blood circulating in your head. I was looking up at the ceiling and I was just lying there. I had my headphones in listening to a song. So while I was lying there, I almost thought about, oh, how good would it be to get a medal? How good would it be to win? And I knew I had a chance of winning to get the gold medal. And because I had stopped from what I was doing in my pre-race routine, look at the roof, and I sort of then went future focused. And then I also went past, which was the last eight months of what I've gone through to get here. All of it just caught up to me. I just then felt tears running down my face. And it wasn't like I just broke and that I was in a flood of tears. I could just feel my eyes being wet and I could feel the tears running down and then I was able to sort of pull it back and contain that and then um, recoup and get ready for the race. That moment caught up to me that just took me way out of um, the optimal arousal space that we call in psychology, but just to perform. The thought came to me around I could be a world champion. I could get the gold medal. I could have everything that I've gone through, eight months of many things I'd never wish on anyone in a lifetime. And then I could come out as a world champion with a gold medal. The dream is so close, within reach, but then... I didn't even race on my PB time. I was a little bit off and I ended up getting four. After that, of course, I wasn't happy, but by no means did I punish myself or criticize myself any harder for that because I knew what I'd gone through. I was just grateful to be there, to have had the journey, to be alive, um, to have the chance to do what I did again. So I was able to take that and accept it without feeling like it wasn't good enough. Rachel is now able to reflect back on this outcome with the wisdom of hindsight and using what she's learnt as a psychologist. I think the tricky thing for an athlete and the mindset that we are encouraged to have is to kind of continually achieve. And as a psychologist now, I can say you need to relish in your achievements and slow down to go faster. You need to acknowledge the process and um, what's actually happening around you because in an unhealthy space, athletes push themselves to the limits beyond healthy, which then borders into punishment side, you know, because they've, they've been in, entrenched in them through their entire life to keep pushing boundaries, push limits, get used to the uncomfortable pain because that's normal. Then they lose that level of self-awareness of what's healthy in their own physiology. How do we make sense of disappointment, of dreams that don't come true, at least not in the way we imagined them to be? 
Rachel has learned how to balance disappointments and challenges with new dreams to rewrite her story, to dream on her own terms. As my best friend always described me, I'm very tenacious. And if there's something that I want, I have to try. I'm just going to do it and I'm going to give it a go. I would set things in my mind where you almost don't accept anything less than what you want. You know, it is in psychology, we sometimes call that that unrelenting standard that you have to check yourself at times, whether it's healthy and whether it's not. But in this case, I I am actually grateful that I persisted because it's now a journey that I'm very proud of. Rachel still lives with the effects of her accident and Bell's palsy. One of her eyes doesn't fully close and her face isn't quite the same as it was before the accident. So I lost my sense of smell there. Um, that was when also the, the, you know, facial paralysis had happened. I had sensory processing issues. So I remember I would be driving the car again. And if a, if a hoon, we call them in Australia or Melbourne. For those of us listening that are not Australian, let me translate. A hoon is Aussie slang for a lout or a hooligan. Back to the story. If they would drive really quickly by me or they would cut you off or um, I would sort of just get a little apprehensive and I was a bit nervous because I didn't want anything to happen to me again. And even things like the radio, I love music on in my car. Um, I had to turn it all down because too much sensory input just, I felt so frazzled because while I was healing, it was a bit of an overload. I know the sensory overload that Rachel talks about so well. My own traumatic experiences compounded and led to burnout in 2019-2020. Fortunately, I am relearning how to use my body's intuition to regulate my nervous system's response to sensory inputs. You can listen to my conversation with somatic coach Sean Brooking about working on my nerves for some tips too. In addition to learning to regulate the overstimulation, I'm also learning to find beauty in the unexpected moments. For Rachel, the world champs was not the end of the dream. Um, No. For Australia, we had one more in the meet, and it was the 4x100 medley relay, so I swam the backstroke leg. That honestly is probably a highlight and one of my favourite swimming memories. Um, My teammate Sarah Kasoulis, who swam the breaststroke leg, she knew it was going to be her last race. Um, Angie Bainbridge was in the relay doing freestyle. Marika Guru did a hundred fly. That memory and the pictures I have of it makes me so happy because I know that we were all so happy and that we all had a buy-in to want to make sure that we were swimming for each other, especially as it was, you know, knowing it was Sarah's last race, we wanted to make sure that we lifted our game. At the end of the day, we got a silver medal, but we all did it together. I don't even think at that point I was as good as I would like, but it's still a favourite memory because we accepted it all for exactly what it was and we got to live in that moment and truly be and it was just exciting, it was fun and it's just a a beautiful moment in time. Uh, You can't see, but my eyes welled up as you were telling that story, so I felt the beauty in it as well. Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve, so. (laughs) Thank you. You went on to become a psychologist and you work with athletes, uh, you work with people that have gone through trauma, you work in counseling, you run a therapy center. As a clinical psychologist, I assume there is something exceptionally rewarding about helping clients work through any trauma, be it capital T trauma or small T trauma, and see them reap the rewards of that. It must be exceptionally rewarding for you. 
I love my job. I love my job. And I tell everyone that I feel so blessed to do my job every day because I do it with such passion and I find the human connection in it. But the reality is we learn so much as psychologists and professionals from our clients and the fact that they let me in and trust me to be on the journey with them, help guide them through the difficult times and navigate and weather the storm, that's where I truly feel blessed because as much as I see the worst of the worst at times, that sometimes they they never reveal to anyone else in their life when it works and when it's good, um, I get to see them thrive. I've had clients who have struggled to function day to day from childhood sexual abuse and the most horrific things you can imagine. And I have such a genuine love and care for them in a professional space. But then I've gotten to a place where I have seen them absolutely thrive. And I couldn't be more proud of them. I couldn't be more celebratory. I am the first person for them that I want to celebrate their wins. And I get so excited if it's something small, they they buy a house or they have a job and they've got fully independent living These achievements mean so much more because I've been on the journey with them for as long as they've been engaged with me. And I think the thing that I could tie in with my own lived experience is often I explain to clients that when you're living in a traumatic experience and when you have something horrific happen to you, you always feel like there is no good um you know, what is the positive message that could you could take from it? There's not much at the time because you're such in a chaos or crisis state or you're trying to survive. But I often tell them that at some point you will see that there is a silver lining. As hard as it is, your lived experience becomes so invaluable. I don't go into the details of my trauma, but I'll say I've had something before like this happen in my life that I know was so difficult but it has created an invisible thread and a bond with my clients where they truly feel validated, they feel understood. They're not sitting with someone who, when they tell their deepest, darkest secrets to, I just nod along like a textbook thinking, yeah, I get it, but I truly get it, which builds that level of connection. And then we can really work in a safe space, in a therapeutic space of what they need, what they want to achieve, where they want to get to, um, and essentially overcome they're real difficult things in life. So I feel blessed to be able to do it. Mm, when someone can be open and vulnerable with you and trusts you with their real raw emotions and as they process them, uh, that's a really incredible space to be. Listening to you speak about how rewarding your work is, I really do get the sense, Rachel, that you might not have gotten that gold medal at the Olympic Games or even World Champs, but you are wearing your gold medal every single day in your work sphere. I think that's just so darn cool. I, oh, that just means the world to me. And thank you so much for saying that. I, I was a provisional psychologist in an educational taste setting. And this beautiful colleague of mine, I don't even know if she's even listening or she knows, but I was telling her about, you know, the dream of getting an Olympic gold medal. It's any athlete and any swimmer's dream. And she actually said to me, maybe you need to go out there in your life and create your own Olympic gold medal. Maybe you need to go out there and cultivate that and do that in a psychology space. And she was a counselor that we're working together, a colleague, a beautiful one. And while I have developed this 
the clinic, the psychology centre, the team. I have had moments in the last couple of years where I could truly look at that and have what you've just said and mirrored your sentiments around. I feel like I have won my own gold medal and achievement and that means so much more in the way I live my life, in the way I can live in a genuine space as a psychologist helping people and I'm truly, truly grateful for that and that you can share that with me as well. It means a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that is just so damn cool. I am so proud of you. Wow. Thank you for listening to this episode of Some Assembly Required. Spotify listeners, did you know that you can now let me know what you think of the episode by tapping on the Q&A section of the audio player? Go ahead. I'd love to know what you think. If you are encouraged by this story, please share it with friends or family that might also be inspired or gain something from it. While you are here, please follow Some Assembly Required to be notified when I next release a new episode. A five-star rating also goes a long way to supporting me and my journey as a podcaster. I really appreciate it. Some Assembly Required is now also available on YouTube. I have included links for you to get in touch with Rachel in the show notes of this episode. If you do reach out to her, tell her I say hi. Rachel is also launching a podcast later this year, so look out for Life in the Cyclane coming real soon. The Some Assembly Required theme music is by my friend and Cape Town musician, Josh Prinsloo. Additional writing by Rue. Storytelling and post-production by me. Thank you for listening to Some Assembly Required.